It's time for the apple seed. Some time just about every day filled with stories and music and conversation for you and your family. And I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's a great pleasure to have you with us today. We're thinking about Christmas today. And of course, Christmas, most wonderful time of the year, sometimes can bring disappointment, setbacks, family squabbles. Nah, really, right? Even when you don't get the presents that you wanted, nah, still the most wonderful time of the year, right? Full of magic and wonder, caroling, storytelling by the fire, sweet treats, confections of all kinds, coveted gifts. What was Christmas like for you as a child? We hope that the stories that we bring you today will spark memories of that time for you that you can bring to the people that you love, sharing them around the dinner table, around the fire, around the living room. Quick reminder that we've been bringing great stories to the air since 2013 on The Appleseed. We hope to do it for many, many years to come. And if you like The Appleseed, you'll enjoy some of the other shows produced by BYU Radio. Talking here about The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and her co-host Richie T. Talking about Top of Mind with the Gracie Award-winning host Julie Rose. Talking about Constant Wonder with Marcus Smith. And of course, we're talking about adventure podcasts like Treasure Island 2020, the swashbuckling time-traveling pirate podcast in 10 exciting parts for you and your family. Just Google Treasure Island 2020 or any of the shows on BYU Radio. I'm Sam Payne. We'll see you next time. We've got stories from all kinds of great storytellers today, including this story from Jane Stenson. It's called One Christmas. Now, Jane Stenson comes from a rich storytelling culture in the Chicago area. She's authored four storytelling books, or co-authored, and uh, those are those are books for people who want to become storytellers, and they're books on how to do it. So you may want to check those out by Jane Stenson and her collaborators. And she specializes in folk tales, but this story is a personal story about how last-minute changes can ruin a child's Christmas and about how unexpected wonders can bring the magic of Christmas right back. It's a story that may bring up memories for you, again, of Christmas when you were a child. Some of the things that impacted your Christmas celebrations, either positively or negatively. Again, the story is called One Christmas. It's Jane Stenson, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. You can't tell by looking, but I am an only child, and my mother was an only child. But my father? He had three brothers and a sister, and to me that meant only one thing. Cousins. I had cousins of all ages, and one Christmas they were coming to our house for three days, a sort of family reunion. My mother and I planned everything. We made lists and polished silver and decorated the house and shopped for presents. We decided that the boy cousins would sleep here and the girl cousins would sleep way over there. We made menus. We prepared some foods ahead of time, like chocolate snaps, oatmeal lace cookies, shortbread cookies, and even a rough bread from my mother's grandmother's recipe. And our personal family favorite Christmas Quantro cake. We thought about what clothes we'd wear for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, what clothes we'd wear outside, what clothes we'd wear inside. Oh, what a hustle and a bustle. We were so busy. On the 23rd, 
We went into town for last-minute shopping and to pick up the cyclamen for the florist. Now, do you know about cyclamen? It, it's a fragile plant with rounded, variegated leaves and paper-thin blossoms. They go forward and then back on themselves as if regarding something long forgotten. One red and one hot pink cyclamen in every room to make a welcome for our family. It was about a half an hour into town from our house, so we couldn't forget anything. There was no time to make another trip. By the time my mother and I got the groceries and picked up the flowers, big snowflakes floated down, covering the car and the sidewalks. The street was quite wet. Driving home, the flakes got smaller and they came down faster. The car skidded as we turned onto the valley road. And by the time we got home and carried groceries into the house, there was a regular blizzard going on. Phew, my mother said. I hope Daddy doesn't have trouble getting up from the city. We unpacked everything and found saucers for the plants and put two cyclamen in every room. We wrapped a few last-minute gifts and put them under the tree and stepped back to admire the big tree surrounded by mounds of gifts. We've done it! We're actually ready, my mother said. My father's train was late. Plus, he'd had to drive very slowly from the station to the house. Well, it's going to be a white Christmas, that's for sure, he said when he got home, stamping his feet and brushing snow off his hat and his overcoat. When I went to bed that night, it was still snowing. And when I woke up the next morning, Christmas Eve day, it was still snowing. It snowed all morning, and at about noon, the phone calls started coming in. My Aunt Nini from Maine. We just can't come. We can't even get out of the driveway. No one can plow us. The men are so busy trying to keep the roads open. Oh, we're so disappointed. It was going to be wonderful being all together. Uncle Bill from Syracuse. <laughs> who, who would have thought? The one time we try to do Christmas together like a regular family... It snows, and not just any snow. Four feet of snow dumped all over New England. Snowbound for Christmas. We'll never get out of here till spring. Say hello to anybody who can make it. My grandmother, who lived in New Jersey, took the whole thing personally. Why, you'd think on Christmas they'd keep the roads open and there wouldn't be so much snow. How can people spend time with their family? Poppy can't drive the Merritt Parkway in this weather. It would be dangerous. I knew everybody should come south. I just knew it. Christmas in the woods? It certainly doesn't work well for us. It turned out that nobody could come, not even my aunt's family who lived only two towns away. The roads were impassable, and it was still snowing. Christmas Eve passed into a whiteness where snow stretched and smoothed out the ground, stone walls, and low bushes, formless mounds of snow. So we went to bed early. Christmas Day dawned and the sky was finally clear. I got out of bed and scratched ice off the inside of my bedroom window and discovered that the earth had disappeared. It was so still and quiet, as though the out-of-doors was checking to see if it had survived. It was quiet indoors, too. We had breakfast. We opened our presents. 
So many more gifts remained, beautifully wrapped under the tree. We cooked dinner together in the kitchen and ate in the dining room with a fire in the fireplace. The day wore into the afternoon. My father disappeared into his Christmas book, and by mid-afternoon, my mother was restless. Come on, she said. Let's give Christmas to the birds. So she and I dressed in the warmest, thickest clothes we could find. We pulled on our boots, and I, I tried to open the back door. Oh, the door opened about three inches, and the light snow flew back into the house. I waved it away, and my mother laughed. We can do this, she said. We inched the shovel sideways out of the back door and carefully dug our way from the back door to a thicket of old lilacs and mock orange vines where the feeders hung. <laughs> the snow was so deep, it was up to my chest. We tamped down the snow in the thicket. We swept the snow off the branches and tamped the snow down again. My mother hung suet, leftovers from our roast beef dinner, and we filled the feeders, even scattering some on the snow for the ground feeders. It was getting so cold, we put scarves across our faces. Now, she said, here's the Christmas part. She told me to stand right here in one spot and put my hand out. Curl back your fingers, make a flat place on your palm, and don't move. Not one muscle. Don't even blink. My mother poured some birdseed into my hand. Don't move. She stood behind me. I didn't move. He came then, a flurry of black and white and gray feathers, a black-capped chickadee right there on my mitten. I could just feel his claw so light on my finger through the weave in my mitten. He stared at me with his black eyes, at my eyes. I stared at him. I couldn't breathe. His head darted to the mitten, and he picked up a round yellow seed and held it in his beak, staring at my eyes. From somewhere, my mother jiggled my snowsuit. Say it, she whispered. Um, uh, Merry Christmas, I said. The bird cocked its head and flew off so fast into the thicket my eye could not follow the flight. My mother and I laughed and, and linked arms and walked as best we could the narrow path we dug together back to the house. I was eight years old that year, and what I saw that Christmas was how the world disappeared, and yet at the very same time offered itself in a seed, a bird, and a very restless mother. A story called One Christmas, told for you there by Jane Stenson. Of course, setbacks in Christmas plans threaten to ruin that child's Christmas. But unexpected wonders 
bring the magic of Christmas right back. What an interesting tradition that she talks about in the beginning of the story of putting cyclamen in every room of the house as a welcome to the folks who are going to come and spend Christmas with them. You know, that flower is uh, kind of a, has kind of a complicated history. There are some traditions that have that flower as as being kind of a symbol of true love, and there are other traditions that have that that flower as a symbol of of well of things coming to an end. It's sometimes used as a as a funeral flower. Well, it was a favorite flower of Leonardo da Vinci. He he covered the margins of a lot of his manuscripts with it. The 17th century Flemish painters painted cyclamens a lot. And and you can kind of bring those two traditions together, the tradition of the cyclamen meaning true love and the cyclamen meaning the end of things by imagining that the cyclamen really what it means in all the traditions is strong lasting feelings. People use the cyclamen as a funeral flower sometimes because it symbolizes the notion that the feelings that we have for the person who is passing on are strong and lasting and even permanent, you know. Well, it's a lovely tradition to spread flowers throughout the rooms of the house for people who are going to come and, uh, and visit at Christmas time. I think when I hear that story about visits to my cousin's house uh, around Christmas time, they lived far away. We didn't see them very often. They all lived near my grandparents, and my mom and dad were transplants from from the family home in California way out to Utah, and we would sometimes make a pilgrimage back to California to visit folks at Christmas time. Uh, there were so many cousins that even though we wanted to express our love and affection for them in terms of gift giving, we did maybe what you do in your family. Everybody drew names and bought a gift for one cousin, and I remember a lot of those fun gifts. Well, there's uh, even though Christmas sometimes doesn't go exactly according to plan, it seems like in that story we find a lot of hope, a lot of hope that something will work out and make Christmas magical. Maybe you've got a story like that, a story about a Christmas where things didn't go exactly according to plan, but in which something happens that makes magic at Christmas time. Those ought to be fun stories for you to share with the people that you love. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with stories from Finn Billy from The Acting Company and even a beautiful song written by Steve Earle about the baby Jesus. You're not going to want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. We'll see you in a minute. You're listening to an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back for more stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. Here's your host, Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. You know, before the break, we heard a story from Jane Stenson, a story of a Christmas that included a, a visit from a, a little bird, included uh, some inside information about a tradition that Jane's family had of putting flowers in every room of the house where people were going to come and visit as a welcome and as an indicator of their strong and lasting feelings for the members of their family. You know, a lot of traditions everybody has. A lot of people put up a Christmas tree. A lot of people put 
presents under it. A lot of people hang stockings by the fire. Maybe you have a tradition like Jane did that's a little more uncommon uh, that may pertain just to you and your family. Those are some of the things that are fun to share around Christmas. Make a tradition of sharing the Christmas stories of your family with the members of your family, the people that you love, the people that you come in contact with, and ask about their stories as well. Now, coming up, we've got a little thing called Marzipan. It's Finn Billy with Rick Davis, and, and Rick Davis is playing the hammered dulcimer here to accompany the story. I remember uh, as a kid, my mom played fiddle with a Celtic band that had as part of its instrumentation a hammered dulcimer. So I remember the hammered dulcimer being loaded into the living room and played and played and played. If you've never seen one, it's a it's, it's shaped like a trapezoid and strings and strings and strings. Gosh, it's got so many strings, you think, how could somebody even play such a thing? And they hit the strings with uh, little hammers, these light little, well, they don't look exactly like hammers that you may be used to seeing, but they're hammers nevertheless. And that's how a hammered dulcimer gets its name, and that's how it's played. In the United States, the hammered dulcimer enjoyed a lot of popularity in the 1700s, the 1800s, having been brought to America like so many instruments were by settlers and immigrants. The hammered dulcimer became popular enough that Montgomery Ward, Sears and Roebuck, some of those catalog companies sold them in their mail order catalogs in the 1800s and very, very early 1900s. The last Sears and Roebuck catalog to include dulcimers in their musical instrument section was the 1902, maybe 1903. So it's been a long time since you could order one through Sears and Roebuck, but they're beautiful, beautiful instruments. And in this tale, the hammered dulcimer serves as underscoring. It's Rick Davis playing it. Here's Marzipan, told by Finn Billing on The Appleseed. It was a dark, damp, cold day in Copenhagen in the year 1947. I was window shopping with my mother in downtown Copenhagen, and as we came up to a toy store, I stopped her and pressed my face up against the glass and said, look, look at that, Mom, look. Look at that red truck over there. Do you think Santa will bring me one of those for Christmas? My mom said, well, Finn, I don't know, but I'm sure Santa will bring you something to play with. And I knew exactly what she meant because last year I got a train made out of wooden blocks and Danish coins with holes in them for wheels. I knew my dad had made it, but this time I wanted a store-bought truck or any kind of toy. Well, Mom... What about that spinning top there? Do you think Santa could bring me one of those? We'll see, she said. We walked on. When we came to a candy store, it was my mother who stopped me, and she pressed her nose up against the glass and said, Look, Finn, look. Look at all that marzipan. When I was a little girl, we had lots of marzipan for Christmas. Oh, it was so nutty and so sweet. What's marzipan? Marzipan is ground almonds and sugar, she said. What's almonds? Almonds 
are kind of nut that comes from the warm countries down south. Is it like hazelnuts that we get in the woods? Well, it's sort of like hazelnuts, she said, but it's a lot better. See those little loaves of marzipan? And look at those pigs. There was a whole row of pigs. They all had red and white ribbons around their bellies. Mom, are we going to have marzipan for Christmas? She said, I hope so, but we can't afford to buy it here. It's too expensive. But maybe when we go to Sweden to visit Aunt Mitzi next week, we can buy some marzipan. It's a lot cheaper over there. Okay, I said. We walked on and got into the King's Great Square. And there was the big department store and a huge window with a big Christmas tree behind it, all lit up. My mother stopped. She looked up at that Christmas tree and it was as though she went into a trance. Mom, I said, tugging at her hand. Oh, she said, oh, I was just remembering how it was when I was a girl and we had a big Christmas tree like that. And see those heart baskets? When I was a girl, some of those were filled with marzipan balls. And when we had finished walking around the tree and singing Christmas carols, we kids were allowed to raid the tree. And I remember getting one of those heart baskets and eating the marzipan balls out of it. Oh, they were so nutty and so sweet. Well, Mom, I hope we get marzipan for Christmas. I do too, she said. We got on the streetcar and went back to our apartment. Next week, we got ready to go to Sweden to visit Aunt Mitza. My mom knelt down in the hallway on the rug and she dressed me for the cold weather. Put on my woolen socks up to my knees, my woolen sweater down over my short pants because that's all I had, the big black woolen coat, the mittens, the hat, and then finally she wound the scarf around my neck and put on my big clog boots. We got on the streetcar and got off at the harbor, walked down along the quay to the ferry. The ferry pulled out and sailed right by the royal palace on our left, and there was a big Danish flag, red and white. I went to sleep leaning up against my mother all the way across the water. But she woke me before we got into the harbor, and when we got up on deck, we saw the big Swedish flag waving there at the entrance, blue and yellow. We got off the ferry as soon as it tied up and walked up Storgatan to my Aunt Mitzi's apartment. When we got into that hot apartment, Aunt Mitzi got down on her knees and hugged me and kissed me. She unwound my scarf and took off my hat. She got my mittens off and my coat. And finally, she took off my boots. Then I walked into her living room, and there on the wall was a big collection of blue Royal Danish Copenhagen Christmas plates. And one in particular caught my attention. It showed a little girl in a white dress looking up at a Christmas tree with lots of candles on it. Could that be a picture of my mother when she was a girl, I wondered? Just then, Aunt Mitzi came in. Finn, she said, she knelt down next to me and got out a coin. She showed me a silver coin. She said, Finn, this is for you. This is a Swedish krona, and you can buy anything you want with it. 
Oh, I said, that's wonderful. It was a beautiful silver coin, shiny, much prettier than the Danish corner, which was brassy and dull. You can buy anything you want, she says, with this. But it's our secret, okay? Don't tell anybody. Okay, I said, thank you, Aunt Mitzi. I put that coin in my pocket. The next morning, we walked down Storgarten to the store where lots of Danes were buying gifts and supplies for Christmas. My mother went up to one counter and started talking with the clerk, and I looked around. There was a toy department. In the display was a truck, a lot like the one I saw in, in Denmark, except this one was blue. And I also saw a spinning top there. I fingered my coin. You can buy anything you want, I remember Aunt Mitzi saying, and I thought I could buy both of those with this coin. But just then I heard my mother's lilting Swedish change. It became harsh, and I could hear her stamping her feet. I went over to her and held onto her dress. I could feel the tension in her body, and I could hear her put coins down on the counter like they were her last coins in the world. I knew she didn't have enough money to buy what we needed. Maybe she didn't have enough to buy marzipan. I looked around and found the candy display. Walked over there. There was a long row of marzipan pigs just like the ones in Copenhagen, except they had blue and yellow ribbons around their bellies. I looked back at the toy department and back at my mother. I held up my coin and I asked the clerk, how many of those pigs can I buy with this? The clerk bent over and tussled my hair and said, I'm sorry, little boy, but you can only buy this one. And her hand went down to the very smallest one, but then it came back to one that was a little bigger. You can buy this one, she said. I was stunned. You can buy anything you want, I heard. I was confused. I looked back at the truck and the spinning top. I looked at my mother. It took me a while. The clerk then said impatiently, Well, little boy, is that what you want? I looked at that coin, I looked at her, looked back at the truck and my mother, and I said reluctantly, yes. Okay, she said. I handed her the coin. She wrapped up that marzipan pig in blue and yellow paper and put it in a little blue and yellow box that I put in my pocket. When we left that store, we went straight to the ferry, and I slept all across the water, leaning up against my mother, dreaming of a huge red truck loaded up with marzipan balls the size of coconuts. When we got off the ferry, we took the streetcar, went back to our apartment to continue our preparations for Christmas. Those preparations were governed by Sundays in Advent. On the first Sunday in Advent, we made decorations for the house and the tree, including the heart-shaped baskets that we wove out of two different colors of paper. Some were red and white, some were blue and yellow, and some were blue and red. On the second Sunday in Advent, we baked cookies, hundreds of them, 
and sealed them in canisters that were hidden far above where the children could reach. On the third Sunday in Advent, we made candy, and we were sitting at the kitchen table. We've just finished making little tiny marzipan loaves covered with chocolate. And we made some candies out of dried fruit, things like that. And then my mother said, now it's time to make marzipan balls for the tree. But we don't have any more marzipan. I slid off my chair and got into the bedroom. I dove down under the bed to get to my private box. Got out the box from Sweden, unwrapped it, brought it into my mother, held it up in my hand, and I said, Look, Mom, we have marzipan. Oh, she smiled and hugged me and said, Where in the world did you get that? I said, I bought it with my own money. And Mitchie gave me a corner, and I bought it with it, but I promised I wouldn't tell. Oh, that's wonderful, said my mother, and she cut it up. We rolled marzipan balls, and then we dusted them with cinnamon and put them in heart baskets for the tree. Finally, Christmas Eve came around. We ate our traditional meal, and then my dad opened the door to the tree. It's the first time we'd seen the tree all decorated. It had dozens of candles on it. We got around the tree and held hands and sang Christmas carols. After a little while, my mother stopped us all. She looked up at that tree. Tears were flowing down her cheeks, but she had a smile on her face. I knew she was thinking about her time as a girl. Then we started back up, and pretty soon my mother stopped us again and said, now it's time for presents. I got a present. It was soft. I opened it up, and there was a scarf knitted by my grandmother. I said, thank you. I got another soft package, opened it up, a pair of long pants. I should be happy about this. I was growing up. This was my first pair of long pants. I said, thank you. Finally, I got a hard package. I ripped off that blue and yellow paper and found a spinning top. Oh, it was wonderful. I, I rushed to my mother and hugged her and said, thank you, thank you, because I thought she must have something to do with it because it looked just like the one in the store in Sweden. We got back around the tree we sang the last Christmas carol of that Christmas. Nu är det jul igen, och nu är det jul igen, och julen var lite påska. Nu är det jul igen, och nu är det jul igen, och julen var lite påska. Now it's Christmas again. Now it's Christmas again. And Christmas lasts all the way till Easter. My mother stopped us again. She got down on her knees and she pulled me toward the tree, where together we got a hold of a heart basket that was blue and red. And together we ate the marzipan balls in that heart. They were so nutty and so sweet.
listening there to Rick Davis on the hammered dulcimer. You know, sometimes they'll they'll whack one of those strings with one of those tiny hammers and 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 let it bounce on the string, and so it sounds like. It's a wonderful instrument to listen to, accompanying that story called Marzipan by Finn Billy. A reminiscence, really, of uh, 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 about all kinds of things. And you get a look at, at the way Christmas is celebrated traditionally in the countries of Finn Billy's ancestry. And those are wonderful, wonderful stories to listen to at Christmas time. Not only the stories of how we celebrate in America, but the stories that come from other places, the ways in which people celebrate the holidays. That marzipan pig tradition comes from Germany and places in Scandinavia, the little marzipan pig being given as a prize in Norway, for example, to the person who eating the rice porridge finds the almond hidden in the porridge, find the almond and get the marzipan pig as a prize. So fun to listen to some of those traditions. And it's got me thinking about Christmas treats that I loved. It was fun to listen to that story and fun to listen in company with our producer, Jeff Simpson. Jeff, uh, is your mouth watering thinking about treats that you may have enjoyed as a kid? You know, I really do want to try marzipan. It sounds delicious. (laughs) And you know, boring old me, I'm just from the United States, but we had traditions growing up yeah. that I, I, for a time, kept them going, and they have since kind of morphed. But uh, I remember my grandmother would always get us those Lifesaver books. Oh, These sure. cardboard books that you were bet. inside were rolls of Lifesavers. <laughs> and just like anything that you loved as a kid, it's it's now totally different. Well, you don't get as many rolls of Lifesavers. Right. But now you can actually get... Uh, you can get books of Starbursts and Skittles and pretty much any candy that you'd want. And I, like I said, I, I kept that going for a while. But uh, the other treats that I, I simply must have in my stocking are <laughs> the miniature Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, sure. And until recently, I would have said Butterfinger, which is one of my favorite candy bars of all time, until... Uh, the company was was bought out, and the new owner changed the recipe. Oh, no. And if you go online, don't go online because there are a lot of really <laughs> mean comments. People are upset uh, about the about change, the change the in the recipe. recipe. I wouldn't be surprised if hopefully by next Christmas they've got it back to the old <laughs> recipe and I can once again have a Butterfinger in my stocking. <laughs> you know, it's really fun for me to think about my my. Uh, grandmother is Scandinavian. Her family comes from Finland. And my grandfather, his family comes from Greece. And my grandmother uh, made a lot of Greek food and a lot of Scandinavian food too. And it's really fun to spend a holiday or a dinner with my aunts, uh, the daughters, uh, and of course my mom, the daughters of my grandmother, who have all adopted some of those Finnish uh, recipes and some of those Greek recipes too. And we get to, you know, a generation later, some of those cultural traditions are being passed down. In my own home, what's fun for me to see is how everybody in the home is taking to some of the things 
that the kids make as the beginnings of traditions. Our daughter makes a wonderful butterscotch pie that everybody in the family thinks it's not Christmas until we've all had some of <laughs> Leah's butterscotch pie. You know, Those are really fun traditions and make for great stories too, of course. And uh, I missed the part where you said you're going to be bringing this in. <laughs> when will that happen? <laughs> we'll be eating some butterscotch pie <laughs> behind the microphones on the apple seed. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with a story called Christmas Every Day, a story by William Dean Howells. Now, we sometimes think, oh, that we should keep in our hearts the goodwill toward men every day, the goodwill toward men that characterizes Christmas. This story coming up is not exactly that idea, not exactly the, it's a, even though it's called Christmas Every Day, it's not just about keeping the goodwill in your heart that you have at Christmas time all through the year. It's got a a, a more interesting twist than that. William Dean Howells is the author, and it's coming up on The Appleseed. You're listening to an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, it's me, Sam Payne, again. You know, it's been great to be with you this hour and to share with you tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal tales and historical tales and more told by terrific storytellers from all over the world. It's what we do just about every day here on The Appleseed. We've been doing it since 2013, and we hope to be doing it for many, many years to come. The whole Appleseed family is dedicated to that. And we love having you as a part of our family. And if you enjoy The Appleseed, you'll certainly enjoy some of the other programs produced by BYU Radio, The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T, Top of Mind with the Gracie Award-winning host Julie Rose, Constant Wonder with Marcus Smith, and more, including Treasure Island 2020, the swashbuckling, time-traveling podcast in 10 parts for you and your family. It's all on BYU Radio, and they're all available as podcasts. You can subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just Google any of the titles of the shows and you'll find them. I'm Sam Payne, right here on The Appleseed. Welcome back for more stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. Here's your host, Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. We've been sharing, well, we've been sharing Christmas traditions. We heard a story before the break called Marzipan by Finn Billy with Rick Davis accompanying on the hammered dulcimer. Before that, we heard a story called One Christmas by Jane Stenson, a story about how last minute unexpected changes to a Christmas holiday almost ruin a kid's Christmas. But unexpected wonders bring the magic of Christmas right back. Now, we've got a story coming up now called Christmas Every Day. It's a story by William Dean Howells. Now, William Dean Howells was a a realist. That's the kind of literature he wrote. He was interested in the truthful treatment of material. And he became famous not only for his own works, uh, his own, the, 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 the stories that he told, but also for essays about literary figures like Ibsen and Tolstoy. In fact, some of his essays solidified the reputations of some of those authors in America. And he also wrote in support of artists, uh, literary artists like Stephen Crane and Emily Dickinson and Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And again, solidified the reputations of some of those authors in uh, America. It's perhaps in this role that he had his greatest 
influence, some people would argue, which makes this story that we're going to hear now a little bit of a departure from William Dean Howell's stuff. This is a fanciful thing uh, from a collection called Christmas Every Day and Other Stories Told to Children. What would it be like really to have Christmas every day? Well, well, here's a fanciful little telling of, uh, of a story by William Dean Howells, read for you here by the acting company, Suzanne Christensen, Leah and Noah Kershisnik and myself. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. The little girl came into her papa's study, as she always did Saturday morning before breakfast, and asked for a story. He tried to beg off that morning, for he was very busy, but she would not let him. So he began. Well, once there was a little pig. She stopped him at the word. She said she had heard little pig stories till she was perfectly sick of them. Well, what kind of story shall I tell then? Hmm. About Christmas. It's getting to be the season. Well, then I'll tell you about the little girl that wanted it Christmas every day in the year. How would you like that? Mm, First rate, said the little girl. And she nestled into a comfortable shape in his lap, ready for listening. Very well, then. This little pig. Oh, what are you pounding me for? Because you said little pig instead of little girl. I should like to know what's the difference between a little pig and a little girl that wanted it Christmas every day. Papa, said the little girl warningly. At this, her papa began to tell the story. Once there was a little girl who liked Christmas so much that she wanted it to be Christmas every day in the year. As soon as Thanksgiving was over, she began to send postcards to the old Christmas fairy to ask if she might have it. And just the day before Christmas, she got a letter from the fairy saying she might have it Christmas every day for one year, and then they would see about having it longer. The little girl was excited already, preparing for the old-fashioned once-a-year Christmas that was coming the next day. So she resolved to keep the fairy's promise to herself and surprise everybody with it as it kept coming true. But then it slipped out of her mind altogether. She had a splendid Christmas. She went to bed early, so as to let Santa Claus fill the stockings. And in the morning, she was up the first of anybody and found hers all lumpy with packages of candy and and Oranges and grapes and rubber balls and and all kinds of small presents. Then she waited until the rest of the family was up, and she burst into the library to look at the large presents laid out on the library table. Books! And boxes of stationery. And dolls and little stoves. And dozens of handkerchiefs. And inkstands. And skates. And photograph frames. And boxes of watercolors. And dolls' houses. And the big Christmas tree lighted and standing in the middle. She had a splendid Christmas all day. She ate so much candy that she did not want any breakfast. And the whole forenoon, the presents kept pouring in that had not been delivered the night before. And she went around giving the presents she had got for other people. And came home and ate turkey and cranberry for dinner. And plum pudding and nuts and raisins and oranges. And then went out and coasted and came in with a stomach ache crying. And her papa said he would see if his house was turned into that sort of fool's paradise another year. And they had a light supper. And 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 pretty early everybody everybody went went to bed cross. The little girl slept very heavily and very late, but she was wakened at last by the other children dancing around her bed with their stockings full of presents in their hands. Christmas! 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 They all shouted. Nonsense. It was Christmas yesterday, said the little girl, rubbing her eyes sleepily. Her brothers and sisters just laughed. We We don't don't know about that. that. It's Christmas today anyway. You You come come into the library and see. 
Then all at once it flashed on the little girl that the fairy was keeping her promise and her year of Christmases was beginning. She was dreadfully sleepy, but she sprang up and darted into the library. There it was again! Books! And boxes of stationery! And dolls! And so on! There was the Christmas tree blazing away and the family picked out their presents. And her father looking perfectly puzzled and her mother ready to cry. I sure... I don't see how I am to dispose of all these things, said her mother. And her father said it seemed to him that they'd had something just like it the day before, but he supposed he must have dreamed it. This struck the little girl as the best kind of joke. And so she ate so much candy she didn't want any breakfast. And went around carrying presents. And had turkey and cranberry for dinner. And then went out and coasted. And came in with a stomach ache crying. Now the next day, it was the same thing over again. But everybody getting crosser. At the end of the week's time, so many people had lost their tempers that you could pick up lost tempers anywhere. They perfectly strewed the ground. Even when people tried to recover their tempers, they usually got somebody else's, and it made the most dreadful mix. (laughs) The little girl began to get frightened, keeping the secret all to herself. She wanted to tell her mother, but she didn't dare to. And she was ashamed to ask the fairy to take back her gift. It seemed ungrateful and ill-bred. So it went on. And on, and it was Christmas on St. Valentine's Day, and Washington's birthday, just the same as any day. And it didn't even skip the 1st of April, though everything was counterfeit that day, and that was some little relief. After a while, turkeys got to be awfully scarce, selling for about $1,000 a piece. They got to passing off almost anything for turkeys, even half-grown hummingbirds. And cranberries? Well, they asked a diamond a piece for cranberries. All the woods and orchards were cut down for Christmas trees. After a while, they had to make Christmas trees out of rags. But there were plenty of rags because people got so poor buying presents for one another that they couldn't get any new clothes, and they just wore their old ones to tatters. They got so poor that everybody had to go to the poorhouse, except the confectioners and the storekeepers and the booksellers. And they all got so rich and proud that they would hardly wait upon a person when he came to buy. It It was was perfectly perfectly shameful. shameful. After it had gone on, About three or four months, the The little girl, girl, whenever she she came into the room in the morning and saw those great, ugly, lumpy stockings dangling at the fireplace and the disgusting presents around everywhere, used to sit down and burst out crying. In six months, she was perfectly exhausted. She couldn't even cry anymore. And And how it was was on the 4th of July? On the 4th of July, the first boy in the United States woke up and found out that his firecrackers and toy pistol and $2 collection of fireworks were nothing but sugar and candy painted up to look like fireworks. Before 10 o'clock, every boy in the United States discovered that his July 4th things had turned into Christmas things and he was so mad. The 4th of July orations all turned into Christmas carols. And when anybody tried to read the Declaration of Independence, instead of saying when in the course of human events it becomes necessary, he was sure to sing, God God rest ye merry gentlemen. It was perfectly awful. About the beginning of October, the little girl took to sitting down on dolls whenever she found them. She hated the sight of them so. And by Thanksgiving... She just slammed her presents across the room. By that time, people didn't carry presents around nicely anymore. They flung them over the fence or through the window. (laughs) 
And instead of taking great pains to write. For dear Papa. Or Mama. Or brother. Or sister. They used to write, Take it, you horrid old thing! <laughs> and then go and bang it against the door. Nearly everybody had built barns to hold their presents. But pretty soon the barns overflowed. And then they used to let them lie out in the rain or anywhere. Sometimes the police used to come and tell them to shovel their presents off the sidewalk or they would arrest them. Before Thanksgiving came, it had leaked out who had caused all these Christmases. The little girl had suffered so much that she had talked about it in her sleep. And, and, and after, after that, that, hardly anybody would play with her. Because if it had not been for her greediness, it wouldn't have happened. And now, when it came Thanksgiving and she wanted them to go to church and have turkey and show their gratitude, they said that all the turkeys had been eaten for her old Christmas dinners. And if she would stop the Christmases, they would see about the gratitude. And the very next day, the little girl began sending letters to the Christmas fairy and then telegrams to stop it. But, but it, it didn't, didn't do any good. good. And then she got to calling at the fairy's house, but the girl that came to the door always said, not at home, or engaged, or something like that. And so it went on, till it came to the old once a year Christmas Eve. The little girl fell asleep, and when she woke up in the morning, she found it was all nothing but a dream, suggested the little girl. <laughs> no, indeed, said her papa. It was all every bit true. What did she find out then? Why, that it wasn't Christmas at last, and wasn't ever going to be anymore. Now it's time for breakfast. The little girl held her papa fast around the neck. You shan't go if you're going to leave it so. <laughs> How do you want it left? Christmas once a year. All right, said her papa, and he went on again. Well, with no Christmas ever again, there was the greatest rejoicing all over the country. People met together everywhere and kissed and cried for joy. Carts went around and gathered up all the candy and raisins and nuts. And dumped them into the river. And it made the fish perfectly sick. And the whole United States, as far out as Alaska was one blaze of bonfires where the children were burning up their presents of all kinds. They had the greatest time. The little girl went to thank the old fairy because she had stopped its being Christmas. And she said she hoped the fairy would keep her promise and see that Christmas never, never came again. Then the fairy frowned and said that. No, the little girl was behaving just as greedily as ever, and she'd better look out. This made the little girl think it all over carefully again. And she said, She would be willing to have it Christmas about once in a thousand years. And then she said a hundred. And then she said ten. And at last, she got down to one. Then the fairy said, That was the good old way that had pleased people ever since Christmas began. And she agreed. And then the little girl said, mm, What are your shoes made of? And the fairy said, Leather. And the little girl said, Bargain's done forever. And skipped off and hippity-hopped the whole way home. She was so glad. How will that do? Asked the papa. First rate, said the little girl. But she hated to have the story stop and was rather sober. However, her mama put her head in the door and asked her papa, Are you never coming down to breakfast? What have you been telling that child? Oh, just a tale with a moral. The little girl caught him around the neck again. We know. Don't you tell what, papa? Don't you tell what? Christmas Every Day from William Dean Howells. <laughs> 
Christmas Every Day, a story by William Dean Howells, a reminder that not every aspect of Christmas would be entirely welcome every day of the year. Though, of course, we do hope that the goodwill toward men and the reverence before some of the sacred things of Christmas wind up uh, being part of your life throughout the year. It's been a great hour. We have listened to a story from Finn Billy, a story called Marzipan, reminding us of great Christmas treats. And uh, we heard uh, Jane Stenson with One Christmas. Of course, that story, Christmas Every Day, read for you by uh, Suzanne Christensen and Noah and Leah Krasisnik and myself. And I forgot to mention Stacy Wilk, one of the other readers in that uh, presentation. And we'll end with a tune, the great Steve Earle Christmas song, Nothing But a Child, performed for you by me, Sam Payne. Such a pleasure to be with you today. Here's one last thing. Well, once upon a time in a far-off land Wise men saw the sign and they set out across the sand Praises for to sing They traveled day and night Precious gifts to bring Guided by the light Well, it chased a brand new star Ever toward the west Across the mountains far And when it came to rest They could scarce believe their eyes They'd come so many miles A miracle they prized Was nothing but a child Nothing but a child Could wash the tears away And guide a weary world Into the light of day Nothing but a child could help erase the miles Till once again we all can be children for a while Now all around the world, in every little town Every day is heard that precious little sound and every mother mild And every father proud Looks down in awe to find Another chance allowed Nothing but a child Could wash the tears away And guide a weary world Into the light of day Nothing but a child Could help erase the miles Till once again we all Can be children for a while Nothing but a child could wash the tears away And guide a weary world into the light of day Nothing but a child could help erase the miles Till once again we all can be children for a while Nothing but a little baby Nothing but a child
Nothing But a Child, a song written by the great songwriter Steve Earle. A reminder that Christmas is so often about the children in our lives and our own childhood memories and, of course, the Christ child. What a pleasure to bring you these stories today. We hope you'll join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for all of the episodes of the show, hundreds of episodes, thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. Join us wherever you get your favorite podcasts as well. Subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day here on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. What a pleasure to be with you today for an episode of The Appleseed produced by Jeff Simpson. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Sam Payne. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed. We hope you enjoyed today's stories. If you're new to the show, know that we'll bring you another helping of tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal tales and historical tales and more to the air on the very next episode of The Appleseed. We're here just about every day. We've been doing it since 2013, and we hope to be doing it for many, many years to come. The whole Appleseed family is dedicated to that. Now, if you like The Appleseed, you'll enjoy some of the other programs produced by BYU Radio, talking about shows like The Lisa Show and Top of Mind and Constant Wonder. And we're also talking about adventure podcasts like Treasure Island 2020, the time-traveling, swashbuckling pirate adventure in 10 parts that's a retelling of the classic Robert Louis Stevenson novel. There's stuff like that at byuradio.org or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Sam Payne. Join us again on The Appleseed, won't you? We'll see you then.